Well, it's time. Yep. So I think we'll go ahead and get started again. Uh, this is Sheila Styron. I'm the chair of the Transportation Forum. Uh, no, I'm not the chair of the forum. I'm, uh, see, I always want to call it a committee, but I recently this learned that I've been chairing a task force. <laughs> and so the Transportation Task Force, in conjunction with the Environmental Access Committee, ably chaired by Becky Davidson, welcome you to our, I think it's our seventh, uh, right? one, two, three, Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Maybe our ninth and final session. Thanks to ACP Radio. Thank you, Cindy. Thanks to all of our presenters. And um, stick around for your CEU codes at the end. I want to take a moment because I don't believe I mentioned it at the beginning of our last session that we do have many documents, something presented from most of our sessions are up on the ACB convention website in the downloadable documents section. And they will also be available in many other venues. And as people have been mentioning, this isn't goodbye because we are going to be having um, details to be determined, transportation, environmental access, Zoom calls, community, meetings moving forward. So our conversation will move forward. Our next presenter, we are very proud to have Judy L. Shanley, PhD, who is the director of the National Center on Mobility Management from Chicago, Illinois. Judy is going to be discussing many things with us. We have until 545 Eastern, and I know that one of the main things she's going to talk about, as to my understanding, she's gonna help provide some training on how to build lo local coalitions that can support our transportation advocacy, advocacy efforts. Um, she's gonna help us pull everything together that we've been working on and help us hit the road running when we all go back to our local communities and chapters. So Judy, thank you much very much for being here with us and take it away. Thank you, Sheila. And um, thank you to your, your task force and environmental access task force and especially to Ron Brooks who um, asked me to participate in this forum. I absolutely love the discussion that you all had over the past hour and um, appreciate all the work that your task forces have been doing. This session is called Making Change in Transportation Service. Let your voice be heard. But as I was hearing the conversation previous to um, this session, Ron was talking about how it's important to not only let your voice be heard for advocacy, but it's also really, really important to let your voice be heard for education, raising awareness, and for consensus building. So as I go through um, some of the discussion about um, coalition building, you'll think about the varying ways that you can use this model. Uh, and I know that um, we've shared already information about our respective weather conditions in our states or cities where we are. So just to let you know, I'm in Chicago, Illinois, and the weather is 86 degrees with 64% humidity. So it's lovely here in Chicago, which is not too often I can say that. 
before I get started in the meat of um, what I want to share with you, I just want to uh, share with you who I am. I'm not a traditional transportation or transit person. I was a vocational rehab counselor for a number of years of my career, then got a degree in special education. And always, always in my jobs and the positions that I had, I always thought about how does transportation and mobility support the work that I'm doing, whether it's to help individuals find inclusive employment opportunities, whether it's um, supporting returning veterans to access housing and economic opportunity, whether it's helping students with disabilities as they transition out of high school and move to post-school settings. No one ever, though, was thinking about transportation and mobility. It was a blip. If it was an IEP or um, a rehab plan, it was a very small piece of what we did. So I had an opportunity when I was at the US Department of Education in Washington to be involved in an effort called United We Ride, which is exactly brings me to the work that I do now. I'm the um, director for Easter Seals, um, the Easter Seals National Office of a national center called the National Center for Mobility Management, and I'll call that NCMM. And what we do is to help the FTA, we're funded by the Federal Transit Administration, and we help states and regions and communities bring together all the, the various transportation services and help communities align those services with the riding needs of diverse audiences. So the United We Ride effort was in 2008 and currently, as Ron explained, we have something called the Coordinating Council on Access and Mobility, which is an effort by 11 federal agencies to coordinate all of the resources that they have around transportation. Um, and the expectation and the outcomes for that work is that there's going to be more efficient service, there's going to be more accessible service, and more available service. So my national center has been working over the last seven years with the Federal Transit Administration to help states and regions implement the CCAM efforts. And recently, it'd be interesting for you all to know that they the FTA published a program inventory, which is a resource that you could go to to learn about all those federal programs that are funded by agencies such as HHS, the Department of Labor, obviously DOT. You find out all of those agencies and how they could support transportation, whether it's providing rides to populations, whether it's providing actual funding for vehicles, whether it's um, um, travel instruction. So it's a really terrific resource. And um, I was thinking that I love if there's ever an opportunity for one of your community conversations that you're planning, I'd love to talk to you more about the CCAM work and perhaps how you could leverage some of the resources that um, that project um, puts forth. I'm an optimist. Ron will tell you, I, I sit on some national committees with Ron and one of my favorite, favorite quotes is always believe that something wonderful is about to happen. And I hope that you consider the information that I'll share as wonderful. 
and um, you really can use it and apply it to solve problems. So what I'll do is I'll talk about a model um, of overview of coalition building. And then I thought we'd take a little break to have a dialogue about that model. That's a theoretical model that I'll share to get your input and your thoughts about its, its usefulness. And then we've developed an um, implementation model that we call Creator that um, can help you take coalition building to the next step and potentially use to address some of those transportation challenges that you all talked about in that first in our first discussion. I'll share tons, lots of resources with you. Um, and then um, we'll, we'll wrap up with opportunity for discussion and questions. So as we move into the meat of this conversation, um, first, I wanted to highlight what evidence or what research says a coalition is. A coalition is a union of people and organizations coming together to achieve a common goal and working to influence outcomes on a specific problem. So that should be no surprise. Um, you know, having a common goal to bring a diverse group of people together is really important to solve a problem. And when I think about what is coalition building, there are four main tenets of, that I think of in terms of coalition building. One, it engages a diverse group of stakeholders. You want to maximize the impact of tackling a, a problem or a solution or a challenge. And so having a diverse group of stakeholders and participants in a coalition is really important. Two, it, the aim is to build bridges across sectors and generate opportunities for shared solutions. And as I thought about what Ron was saying about education and awareness building, I think that, you know, one of the, the outcomes of building bridges between the work we all do between sectors is learning about each other's work and each other's contributions to what um, we can uh, use it as we're identifying solutions. I know that when I go around the country and I help um, states or regions address transportation challenges, when we bring diverse groups of people together, one of the things that people learn is um, what transportation services may be available in a community that they never knew existed or they may learn about a transportation service that runs particular hours and they had no idea that that service existed. Or they may learn about a entity, a funding source for transportation that they never knew existed. So the educational piece of coalition building is really important. A third premise of coalition building is identifies and builds upon assets um, already present within the community and generate strategies to advance priorities. So it, it's building on the amazing resources that are in the community. Um, the um, Secretary of Transportation, the former Secretary of Transportation, um, one of his quotes that you heard him frequently say is that wherever he goes, he comes across incredible examples of communities that have a vision for transportation and how it will impact the quality of life, mobility, economics, and opportunities. So it's that understanding and appreciation that as a coalition, you really can um, leverage the resources and the assets that are already there and use that knowledge, use that 
uh, collaborative uh, passion to address some of the challenges that exist. And then finally, coalition building um, accomplishes a broad range of goals that reach beyond the capacity of any individual organization. So really thinking about this as a holistic approach. So how would you use coalition building in your community? Um, and particularly relating this to transportation, one of the topics that we work on on the National Center on behalf of the Federal Transit Administration is access to health services through transportation innovation. There's been a real challenge in our country for people to access medical care um, and think about the adverse effects of um, not having access to healthcare because of transportation on individuals, um, and think about the access, the um, adverse impacts upon healthcare providers. You know, healthcare providers are standing ready to provide medical and health services and rehab services if they need, and if people can't access the appointment or miss appointments, that's a big cost to them. So we've worked. Um, a lot in communities at the regional and um, local levels, particularly on bringing together healthcare professionals with uh, disability services organizations with transit providers to build coalitions around healthcare. The other topic that we focused on a lot is building connections with housing um, and other community services. I work a lot with HUD the um, housing and urban development in communities around the country, particularly low-income communities, to ensure that, um, that um, housing complexes and where people live have access to transportation and the, the whole equity issue in terms of transportation service being available in communities that truly need it. Um, the other uh, topic that how you could use coalitions at the local levels around food deserts and access to um, healthy foods and nutrition. We were working with the um, USDA, the Department of Agriculture and their food and nutrition service program to ensure that um, in summer meal programs that students have free and reduced lunch programs because of um, in schools, if they're in schools, that they have access to free and reduced lunch and uh, healthy meal programs, even in the summer when school's out. And of course, you know, COVID has changed the services that transportation and transit provides. We've seen many transit agencies involved in food service delivery and meal delivery for schools and are working in their communities with agencies to deliver meals. So, um, you know, the, thinking about the, the innovative ways that coalitions can address some of the challenges that are in the community are really important. Um, and then uh, one of the final ways that we work uh, with coalitions is to uh, expand workforce transportation options. So, for instance, in Ohio, I was working with a, a group of folks on building a, a workforce transportation connection to um, bring people um, in from rural parts of a community into a city center so they could access big employment hubs. And um, on that coalition were the big employers, the Chamber of Commerce, the um, local mayor's council, the disability council, all focusing on employment, recognizing how important uh, employment was to the economic base of the community. So not only important to individuals, but important to the community as a whole. 
So how do how do you form a coalition? Well, you know, usually there's um, uh, some a few passionate people who have an interest in solving a problem, and in this case, it could be around transportation. Um, you first have to explore the problem. I, I'm a big believer in the use of data. So if you have any data to, to support why a focus on a particular issue is important, what does it mean in terms of revenue? What does it mean in terms of health? What does it mean in terms of access to opportunity? What does it mean in terms of inclusiveness in a community? If you're able to um, collect local data um, and make it relevant to your local community, that's always compelling. And our local legislators are obviously interested in ROI, return on investment. So anytime you can connect those data to costs, the monetary costs, but personal costs, economic costs, uh, business development costs, health costs, that's going to be really important. Then you, um, a third step would be to identify potential stakeho stakeholder groups to include in the coalition. And I've got a long list of um, agencies that we've worked with in coalitions around the country. So organizations like AAAs, the A Area Agencies on Aging and Senior Centers, local government, your elected officials and department heads. Um, I was involved in a coalition in a rural part of Minnesota and um, at the table was the chief of police of that community. And I never, and all the coordination work that I've been doing over the years, it really surprised me to have a chief of police at the table. And when we were going around the room, I was asking people what their interest in being um, to address the transportation challenges. And um, the ch chief said, well, when people in my community can't get to school or can't get to jobs um, and they're on the streets because they don't have transportation because they can't access those places, they do bad things. And that affects my workforce. Um, that was so compelling. And he was actually able to collect data um, and offer it to the local legislators about how, what a compelling issue this was and why the, the city needed to invest or county, it was a county level, why they needed to invest more money in transportation and he was able to provide the data. So some of the other um, organizations that might be important to be at the table would be public health agencies, hospitals, medical centers. In a rural part of Pennsylvania, there was a health center, a big health system. It was an insurer and a provider of healthcare service. And they were having a, a hard time um, having, getting people to their healthcare services. And um, it was really an issue because you likely know that public health officials and hospitals are dinged if they have recidivism. So if, if, if the readmission rate for patients leaving a hospital is um, they, if a person's health fails, they have to go back in the hospital within 30 days, that might have adverse financial impacts on the hospital. So hospitals are very compelled to be at the table to solve transportation challenges as are public health agencies who are very interested in something called social determinants of health. They get um, uh, monitored 
uh, by states um, for these plans that they have that focus on the, the variables that contribute to health and transportation is determined to be one of those examples. And so public health officials want to be part of a problem solving um, group in any local or county level place. Social service providers are important, child court organizations and schools. We work a lot with the Administration for Children and Families on um, two generational transportation, because if you think about um, whole family approach to transportation when an individual gets a job, it's not just them getting the job, it's their family and all the family conditions and characteristics that enable an individual to stay or not stay in a job. And so the Administration for Children and Families, ACF, has what they call a whole family approach to transportation. I mean, a whole family approach to employment, and they focus on transportation. So, you know, finding these local grantees in your community or the, the administrators of these programs in your community, they would be valuable assets to your coalition. As our faith-based institutions, um, we're working in, in uh, Minnesota, actually, with Lutheran Social Services of Minnesota. And it was when we started building these coalitions around the state, it was interesting to learn that many of the Lutheran social service agencies had vehicles that were available to transport people. So, um, you know, they, they may have sat idle for a lot of the week, and maybe they were only used on a Saturday or Sunday, but during the week, they had excess seat capacity that enabled those vehicles to be used to transport other people. So they, the um, DD council in the communities could use a vehicle to transport their, the people that they worked with to jobs and community-based employment. Um, other sectors could use those vehicles. So there's just never a wrong partner, I think, in coalition building. So why is it important to have such an eclectic and diverse group? Well, you know, these are the, the stakeholders that represent the community infrastructure um, and they have different capacities than we all do, you know, that any individual organization does. And so bringing in such a diverse group of people um, really enhances the capacity of a coalition. By bringing in such a diverse group of um, stakeholders and organizations, you're also eliminating silos, right? You're, you're chopping down those um, those um, uh, schisms that exist between the work that we all do. Also, these groups bringing such a diverse group together, you could have collective impact. You know, there, um, I have a, um, some research here that says that coalitions have greater credibility than individual organizations, and coalitions can impact systems change to a greater extent than an individual organization um, can. So collective impact is a really strong impetus for bringing together a diverse group of stakeholders. Um, community engagement, you want diverse audiences to really appreciate and value what your challenge is and what problem you're trying to solve. So the more diverse your group is, the more you're gonna 
um, facilitate that community engagement. Also, it's an opportunity to mobilize a variety of resources. Every organization brings different resources, whether it's people resources, whether it's fiscal resources, whether it's intellectual uh, capital that they bring. And so by tapping into that diverse range of um, stakeholders that you're able to tap into the resources to a greater extent. The other thing is that we've learned by having diverse stakeholder coalitions is that you're also accessing their larger networks and dissemination channels. So they could be a conduit to audiences that maybe you and your organization don't have uh, direct contact with or aren't part of your dissemination channel. By bringing in an entity, they have dissemination and communication channels that you then can lever, leverage to um, share information or acquire information. Um, and then also the diversity of stakeholders in a coalition is important to um, to further sustainability. The, the more diverse and representative your group is, the more likely that the solutions that you generate are going to be sustainable and long-lasting. How many of us have been involved in um, forums, coalitions that um, identify a solution, put the solution in place, and then not long after the solution goes away? And so by having diverse stakeholder participation in your coalition, the chances of the solution being more sustainable are, are improved. There is um, some research out there about size of a coalition. Like how many, how many people do you include? Um, is it is too many? Is it not efficient to have too many? And so um, a researcher, William Riker, he introduced the notion of the minimum winning coalition. Um, and he describes this as a coalition is created just as large as they believe will ensure winning and no larger. So really assessing the value of having a large, large group, um, usually a coalition of um, 12 to 18 people. The more people you have in your coalition that requires more resources, more time intensive, obviously. It also uh, would maybe be more difficult for a larger group to identify and develop a common purpose because um, it may be that there's so many diverse opinions, so many diverse governance structures, so many diverse um, perspectives that it just doesn't become efficient as a coalition. Um, so the, the literature suggests that you really think about the size of your coalition based upon your goal and making sure that you've got the right perspectives for their goal rather than saying, okay, 12 organizations in my coalition is the right number, um, making sure that instead of using that as a way to measure the numbers of organizations you really look at you the, that you have the most accurate perspectives and the input in that goal. Um, there's also thinking that um, it may be more preferable to bring together a narrow group, group with more closely defined interests um, and then making sure that that group has common knowledge of the terms and issues that research says that when you upfront in your coalition define 
terms, um, you define the issues, you define the, the problems and challenges that you're better able to identify the objectives of the coalition. Um, and then, you know, you just want to make sure that you're not squelching any ideas. Um, you, there's always a place for innovation and ideas, and it may be that those ideas are not relevant at the moment to a solution that your coalition identifies, but they could be tabled for later on. And you don't want to squelch passion. You know, the worst thing is if you bring a coalition together and people are excited about um, addressing a particular challenge in the community and um, the coalition leaders start dismissing those ideas, then that's going to disenfranchise people and it will set a tone for not being very successful at, at um, coming to realize your goals. The one of the, the big um, uh, empirical or evidence associated with coalition building and outcomes is um, you have to have the right groups, but you also have to have the right people from those groups. I've been on coalitions where the CEO or the president or the chief of a organization is the person on the coalition. And sometimes that's not the best person. Things that you look for um, would be that that individual is passionate about the topic, that they're there for the right reasons. They're there because they really want to study the challenge. They really want to study the, the problem. They really want to be part of the, the solution. You don't want someone in your coalition who's there because of a title or because of a role. You also want people there, though, that can influence the decision. So having someone that has been charged by an organization um, to be able to facilitate change on behalf of the organization is really important. You don't want someone who um, doesn't have any authority or power to be able to think about how that organization can contribute to solving the problem. You also want to have people that have the time. Well, this stuff, some of it takes time, you know, and, and uh, it's voluntary in most part, in most situations, you're doing this um, in addition to the work that you may already be doing. And so um, thinking about time commitment would be really important to ensure that you have the right people. And then the interest, which uh, relates to passion, but interest is kind of the knowledge aspect of being a participant in a, co in a coalition. The passion is, is the heart and the spirit of wanting to contribute, whereas the interest is more that there's some knowledge impetus for people to participate. Um, and there was a quote that when I was doing research to prepare for this discussion, um, it reads, if you cannot get the right people in the right role, roles at the right moments in time, if you can get the right people in the right roles at the right moments in time, great things can happen. So um, that's just helping you think about it. It's not just about the organizations, it's about the people. So when you're thinking about coalitions, and, and this um, may make sense, but we work 
Rana and I work a lot with um, transit agencies and transit providers as we're building these coalitions around the country. Um, and we always, 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 our, our message is don't forget the importance of diversity within the coalition. So um, having older adults, the perspective of older adults, having the perspective of young adults, you know, youth in our society are influencers. We work a lot with the American Public Transportation Association, and they did a study a number of years ago that indicated that millennials were um, driving less and using public transportation more. And so when that study came out and, um, you know, transit agencies started thinking about marketing to that group, to that millennial group as a way to facilitate change across their agencies because they knew that they were very interested in the transportation solutions that they wanted to implement in their communities. And so um, they're, they, they were a good market for transit agencies. Certainly people with disabilities need to be part of um, coalitions and especially around transportation every step of the way goes back to that education. Um, be real decision makers at the tables and more and more transit agencies are thinking about the roles of um, people with disabilities in terms of planning, in terms of design, in terms of operations and there's requirements for transit agencies to have um, the engagement of the public and so use those opportunities to um, voice um, your perspectives on what transportation should look like in your community. And certainly the other important factor is racial and ethnic diversity and that whole equity and um, Title VI um, kind of thinking about making sure that the coalition is really representative of the diverse range of people in your community. That um, is an over very high level overview of kind of the model of coalition building. I um, have um, resources that I will share with you at the end, which give you some tools that you could use to implement this. But I'd love now if we could stop a little bit and if there's any questions that people have or any thoughts about the model that I just shared, um, even talking about your own experiences in coalition building and whether those experience mirrored or differ from something that I've heard. I guess, um, Cindy, do you, can you call on people if people raise their hand? I absolutely can and am ready to do that. Um, so let me quickly explain how people can raise their hand in case they don't know. It's star nine if you're on the phone. It is on your app on the main screen and it's alt Y if you're on a PC and option Y if you're on a Mac. So. Let's go to our first person. And again, I may be unmuting you prior to your um, being asked to speak. So if I do unmute and somebody else is still talking, please uh, remain quiet. All right. Um, Barbara, you can unmute. Barbara? Okay. There you are. 
Hi, Judy. Uh, this is Barbara Salisbury in Bloomington. Hi. And uh, Barbara. Hey. <laughs> hey, how are you? Yeah, I, yeah I appreciate uh, everything you said today. In fact, all the transportation sessions have been fantastic this week. Um, one thing that uh, coalition building here in Bloomington and the way it took place for us is really having those relationship beginnings already founded so that when the issue or the opportunity arises, you already have that sort of foundation laid. And I think you may have said that, but I had to tune out for a minute. But, um, but I know that the coalition that we built here happened because I already had a foundational beginning with a couple of people in the city. And then when that uh, ATSI opportunity came, I was able to pull that pull that um, little tiny group together quickly to apply for that uh, for that grant to and we were awarded to start our coalition so just yeah, good that, good those, good point Barbara yeah. do you have suggestions as to did you formally establish those relationships or how did you how did you go about establishing those foundational relationships well you know we all come to the table with our own passions and of course my passion is transportation so I was already kind of networking through the community at different um, citizens advisory groups and 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 other committees and boards in the in the town and in the city and so I already kind of had those connections so when that grant opportunity came to me and we only had less than 30 days which is often the case to yeah. pull that together um, then I already had it I already had the relationships and I could, you know, pull it together quickly so that we could apply for that grant opportunity, but just kind of laying that foundation because you never know when that opportunity is going to fall in your lap, but that's, that's all. Great. Thank that's you, That's really Judy. great. Thank I can't you, add much to what you say because you're fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. You know, um, what Barbara says is absolutely correct, and I've worked with communities around the country um, that have informal transportation fairs or mobility fairs where they just invite the community, um, organizations, people, individuals, um, some of the entities that I shared, just to an informational meeting about what's going on in a community. And there may not be any pressing challenge or need to, have, to bring people together, but it's one way to kind of build these relationships. As Barbara said, I think that's really important because you never know when an opportunity is going to present itself and you're going to work, work, work to develop those relationships. So that's a great point, Barbara. Okay, Doreen, go ahead. So this is Doreen Cornwell in Seattle. And I guess I want to touch on two topics. Um, one of the things that happens for me as somebody who's dealing with vision loss in midlife is I'm like, maybe I'm acutely aware of both ableism and like the before and after what I can or can't do. And then the other piece of that is that when I try to work in diversity, there always winds up being cultural issues. And mm -hmm. so for me, part of the task is always getting to meeting norms where everybody's heard and you can respect everybody's communication style and still get, information across. So I'm curious if you have any tips for that or any thoughts because I I totally appreciate I, I totally agree with you that diverse coalitions are huge. Um, and and in Seattle and in, in the Puget Sound area, 
there's a bunch of different projects and some of them have a local scope and some of them, you know, this road segment over here. I love the idea of don't build a road segment without adding transit, which came up in an earlier session. Mm -hmm. um, so some of that like hyper local stuff where you need somebody with both the big picture and the like local capacity is, is another kind of growth edge for me, I think. Yeah, no, that's exactly right, Doreen. I think those are um, really good points regarding um, how to address the the kind of um, cultural issues associated with coalitions. I think one thing that we've done in um, the past is we talk about norms, we talk about respect, and we talk about um, the 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 social norms that have to um, structure a coalition, and that we all respect each other and each other's perspectives and opinions. And sometimes that's tough to do because um, frankly, in the transit world, there's a bunch of um, people who've been doing this work the same way over and over and over. And so trying to shift that mindset and trying to facilitate their appreciation of the differences that we all have when we're in a coalition, I think is really challenging. I think another strategy you could use is through example. Like if you've got examples of other work or other coalitions, not even necessarily in your own community, but um, that you've read about or you hear about or you learn about to use those as a model um, that can help people learn and aspire to have a, a coalition that's respectful. So that was a great question. All right, Andy, go ahead. Hey, can y'all hear me? Yes. All right, so <clears throat> I have two questions about uh, coalition development. First one is, uh, obviously I would want, if I was to go on that venture, I would want to include our local transit company or companies so um, as a representative of our ADA committee how would I involve our, our, how would I involve our bus company because we are a direct arm of them we're not like a separate group mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well you identify, well, first, one of the first things I think you could do is think about why would that local bus company want to be involved? What's in it for them? And so thinking about the return on investment, the ROI, the outcomes associated with why they should participate um, would be really important. And then you use that information to approach them to get their involvement. And um, we've been involved in many, many coalitions around the country and all of the providers, the transportation operators are involved. They're at the table. Um, I was working slightly off topic, but I was working with the Pupil Transportation, uh, National Association for Pupil Transportation. And those folks told me that they wanted to be part of school IEP committees because they wanted to be part of the decision-making process and they felt like they had good knowledge that they could contribute to the process. And so that's how you have to make the bus company feel is that their contribution is gonna be valuable and is really important to the process. But at the same time, this is what's gonna be good for them if they participate. So what's, 
what's the outcome for them? So I think starting with that and again, finding models, maybe there's a coalition in another state that buses have been, bus companies, operators, diverse operators have been involved and you could use that kind of as a competitive thing for that bus operator to be involved. Hope that addressed your question. All right, Jamaica, you'll need to unmute yourself again. Oh, audio now unmuted. Yes, this is Jamaica Miller from Athens, Georgia. And my question is, do you need to have a coalition for, for a nonprofit that is dealing with uh, transportation? Do you have to have a coalition for a nonprofit? I don't, I don't think you have to have a coal. I mean, there's no regulatory requirement for having a coalition. Um, certainly, if um, you're trying to address a particular challenge, um, having a community coalition, including your nonprofit, would be important. Um, there's requirements around coordination that um, plans that regions developed or have the participation of nonprofit organizations. But if you decided that you wanted to address some of the transportation, if you wanted to address some of the transportation challenges in Athens, you might want to convene a local group. Your organization could take the lead and you would invite the transportation planning organizations. You would invite the transportation operators in your community, you would invite other nonprofit organizations, you might want to include the healthcare association, the aging organizations, but there's certainly no requirement. But I think, you know, as evidence suggests that the diverse stakeholder group that a coalition could offer is more likely to address any challenge that you have related to transportation. All right, thank you, Jamaica, and hi to your mom. All right. Uh, Deb, could you unmute yourself, please? You're next. Deb Versteeg, I think. And all right, we're going to move to the next person. Sheila, go ahead. You can unmute. That caught me off guard. Sorry, um, Sheila. <laughs> <laughs> I have two. I have two things that I would like your comments on, Judy, and that is um, one is the usual suspects, what I call the usual suspects model. Everywhere that I go uh, in my local community, there's a cadre of people. They're all good people. They're all they're all they're very passionate, and but they're about many many things, and um, but of course that means burnout because we're all trying to do all the stuff and we're not getting a lot of new blood. Mm -hmm. And that brings me to the second thing, which is the, I got a Jaws in my head that isn't mine. Yeah, I'm sorry, I keep, Deb, you need to stay uh, muted until you're ready to talk because you have speech that is interrupting. Okay, <laughs> go ahead, sorry. Sheila. Um, the, the second thing is how do we bring in new, fresh, meat, blood, whatever, <laughs> into these things? <laughs> Check, yeah. I'm done. Yeah, um, you know, I think it's about messaging. I think it's about 
um, when you're trying to appeal to new and diverse audiences in terms of coalition building, community capacity building, it ha you have to use a message that's gonna resonate with that audience. And I know I've talked about the ROI insistently, but I think people have to feel value, not only personally, but professionally, and their organizations have to feel like it's a good use of my time and resources to be involved in the coalition. And so if you could message the, the purpose, the objectives um, that a, a new audience would get, a new stakeholder would get by being part of this coalition, I think that would help to draw people. Um, don't use your same old message that you've been using. Be creative, be innovative, make it a, um, I think starting off informally is also useful where it's just a relationship building that Barbara Salisbury talked about is just building relationships first um, because we're all tentative and especially if it's a new organization or new individual in your community that's never been involved with the same group of people, there's history there. There's people that know each other, they're comfortable with each other's styles, um, that this new organization may not be so comfortable so starting out informally and using having like an introductory meeting, an informal meeting, have snacks, um, make it in an informal setting even, that's a good way to make people feel comfortable. And then it's the messaging. So I hope that helps. All right, Deb, you can unmute yourself now. You're no, next. There you go. Hi there. Um, this is Deb Rickling from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And what problem that we generally have is that we used to have a strong, um, con a strong bond with the transit authority, but they moved their meetings from evenings to afternoons mm -hmm. so that most of us who work are not able to attend and they kind of like it that way and uh, so yeah. for the last several years it's, it's been very difficult to become a part of their uh, public access uh, board meetings in order to give comments or see what's going on. Right. Wow. That's unfortunate. I've heard of that and I've heard of agencies who have meetings in inaccessible places so that people that use wheelchairs or mobility challenges can't access those places. That's just shouldn't be. And so I think that if um, you one-on-one -on -one can approach that transit agency director, if you have some data about the numbers of people that potentially they're losing the voice of, I think it might help your um, position or your argument to have these meetings at more accessible times. Transit agencies um, have to, or should, they don't have to, but they should be wanting to hear um, uh, about transportation needs from riders. And individuals with disabilities, those with low income, older adults are riders. And so having accessible meetings, whether it's in a place or time, um, should be paramount in their minds. And so I think um, if you have any data about the numbers of people potentially that they're missing or the value of the input and the voices that they're missing, I think that would be, uh, might make it more compelling to them to think about changing the time. Yeah, that's really unfortunate. And maybe if there's um, neighboring um, cities and agencies 
in South Dakota that have um, that have accessible meeting times, you know, you could say that too. You could say, look, I did some exploration in my state and um, this agency is having its meetings at six o'clock on Mondays and so more people can attend. That might provide an impetus for them to think about losing, you know, the value of the voices of people who can't attend. So, okay. Cindy, maybe we'll should, should we go on? Oh, go ahead, Ron. I wanted to just real quickly jump in on this, the, the coalition and just with a, with a concept, and I'd certainly be interested in your thoughts, Judy, as well. I'm, I'm doing some work in a, in a slightly different space, which is, is the space, I call it influence. And you know, building coalitions is about increasing your influence at the end of the day. It's about getting people that you want to work with on a common purpose to recognize your value and work with you. And one of the things that, uh, first off, I totally agree in the idea of building the relationship before you need the relationship. Um, you know, taking the time to build rapport, mm -hmm. to hear what the other people in the coalition's concerns are, what their goals are, even if they're not your same goals. Um, but I want to share a, a thought of a concept of reciprocity and the idea that when we take interest in things that are important to other people they take interest in things that are important to us and you know to that end um, one of the things that i think sometimes we do is we are so focused on what we need mm -hmm. that we forget that the things that other people need are just as important to them as the things that we need are to us so for example having a, an informal conversation where um, we um, really hear and, 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 and appreciate and understand that, that to a developer, you, you know, understanding that, that what their goals are and what their needs are, it can help us to be a better partner for them. And if we're a better partner for them, they'll be a better partner for us. The, the other thing I want to talk about is a concept, which I don't know what you'd call it, um, but, but it's freebies. And so, for example... If you're in a coalition or trying to build a coalition with an organization that has need of services that you can provide, they are much more likely to then be willing to provide things that you might need in return. So, for mm -hmm. example, if you have an organization that you want to partner with to build a coalition, and maybe they need a little bit of help with some Braille, doc you know, some Braille documents because they have a member who needs that, if you can help them with that, they might be able to help you with something that you need in return. And all of these relationships pile up over time and strengthen a coalition so that when you're asking for transportation or help advocating, even if it's not really their first priority, they, they'll support you just because they care about you. Mm -hmm. And this is just something where I think we can, we, we shouldn't be so transactional in our relationships with other people. We should really mm -hmm. be focused more on the relationship itself because those relationships can create the results we want. Mm -hmm. That's so, the, the, both of those points, Ron, are really um, great. I remember working in a place, and I can't exactly remember where it was, but uh, it was a human service, it was a nonprofit organization, and the community was trying to establish a um, better relationship with the transit agency in their community, and they wanted to have a, um, a meeting, and the transit agency didn't have a place for that meeting, an accessible location for that meeting, and so the human service organization volunteered their um, 
space, their, their site. It was accessible, it was um, accessible to transportation. It was, um, and that's something that um, really solidified the relationship between the transit provider and it kind of aligns with what you're saying about, um, you know, they're gonna be a better partner to, to me because I've given them my space. So those, those points are, I, I, Exactly right. Thank you. And um, sometimes in transportation too, I've heard of bartering systems that a region may have where if, especially in um, volunteer driver programs, that if um, you have uh, um, time to drive somebody, you might volunteer to drive somebody. And if I teach piano, I'll teach you piano if you drive me somewhere. I, I've heard of those systems and they're pretty sophisticated bartering systems in communities around um, the country. It's, uh, there's no money exchange, it's the, the skill and that's kind of the, the same premise of the reciprocity. So thank you for that. Um, I just wanted to spend a little time and we'll have um, more time at the end for discussions and questions. Um, so what now, you know, the next step, you've got this coalition together, you've got a really great group of people who you think can make change, what happens now? So you have your initial meeting, you might have um, it informal, as I said, at first, you might have a more formal conference where people are getting together, where they're learning in a more structured way. You have to clearly define the purpose of the coalition, and that should be done collaboratively. It should be a um, kind of a, a Delphi process, a Delphi process is where everyone's input and voice is really important and that addresses that the um, kind of the cultural, the perspective, diverse perspectives issue that we talked about earlier. Um, but coming to coming together, having terminology sheets, like a terminology defined so that everybody's on the same page regarding what everything means. I, I come from not a transit background and Sometimes I hear language in transportation and transit industry and I'm thinking, oh wait, that's rehab, that's special ed, that's not transportation. And so making sure that there's common um, language and terminology and understanding. Um, and then you wanna begin action planning. You wanna um, talk about, all right, what do you do with this coalition? What are the next steps? It's always, um, important to know that um, you have to initially um, create shared value. You have to, not only when you're defining what the terms are that's going to kind of permeate your solution generation, but you're going to agree upon those issues and you're establishing the value and you're establishing the value through the shared work that you do, through the outcomes and through the purpose. You want people to be active and engaged and feel real value in being part of the process. So we, um, in education, for a number of years, they worked at a National Technical Assistance Center, similar to a project that I'm working on here uh, through FTA. And um, we have a model that we developed and it's called the creator model. And it sounds biblical, but it has nothing to do with the Bible. Um, creator means um, care, creator, the C, R is relate, E is examine, A is acquire, T is in try, E for extend, and R for renew. 
and it's creator, C-R-E-A-T-E-R. -E and all this is is a process implementation model. There are tons of models like this out there. The ATSI model that Robert talked about is, is another one. There's design think. There's so many process models. So I'm just sharing with you as an example of something that we've used to help communities actually implement activities and strategies to address the purpose of a coalition. So I'll go through each of these stages. The um, care stage is really taking time to understand and define the issue. That, that's the, the part of the process where you're developing the shared value. You're appreciating the diverse perspectives. You're talking about the reciprocity, the concept of reciprocity and appreciating the, the outcomes of this coalition and, and the work that you're doing for different audiences. Um, and you have to take a lot of time in that process because if you don't optimally address care, if you don't have common agreement, um, common understanding, then the whole subsequent process is going to be fault. It's, it's not going to work so well. So that's the care stage. Um, relate is building relationships. And I, I agree, I think we need, you need to have relationships before a formal process of implementation. But when you're focusing on the relate stage of this model as you're doing coalition building, you're really building the relationships with the expectation that you're gonna solve a challenge or solve a problem. And then in the examine stage, which is the third stage, you're really unwrapping the challenge. You're identifying root causes. You're trying to identify why is this a challenge? What is it? What is it about this issue from the diverse perspectives that are at the table? Why is this a challenge? And even using some sort of tool or table, and um, I, I will share with Ron the materials that we've used to help people implement this, but you really go around the room and, and each person has an opportunity to examine the issue to talk about the root causes, to talk about why this is an issue. You know, sometimes even in that discussion, I've had coalitions recognize that maybe they didn't, they thought it was an issue, but it's really not an issue. And just through the discussion, they identify potential solutions. And so the examine step in this model is really important. The fourth step is acquire, where you're collecting resources. And People automatically think of money, but often it's not money that's needed. It's um, materials, it's people, it's a new way of doing a practice. It's a different way of doing a practice. It's, you know, in transportation agencies, it could be redesigning a route. I know someone earlier was talking about, you know, the paratransit issues when you're redesigning bus routes or fixed route systems, but, um, you know, really getting the information you need and acquiring resources to be able to address the challenge. I'm always a big believer of the fifth stage, which is trying something, trying something on a small scale to see if it's collecting data, um, you know, continuously measuring and evaluating whether it's working, but doing it in a small scale. And once you feel confident that the solution is appropriate on that small scale, then you extend it and you use what you've learned to extend or increase the scope of the solution. And then the process starts all over again, you renew. 
it's a cyclical model and it's iterative and it's um, there there's not one way so you can care and you can move on to a relate stage but then your maybe your coalition changes so you need to take a step back and go into care so it doesn't have to be continuous but um, if you think about coalitions you build in any problem solving that you've been involved in you probably have done each of these stages maybe there weren't called care relate examine acquire try extend or renew but i bet you use similar steps in solution building um i have have as i said i have um, tools that I've developed that I use with communities around the country um, to really implement this model. It's, it's workshops that I've done. And when I talk about care related and examine, some of the questions that I ask people to think about in the workshop is um, describe existing transportation services and who can use the service. Who is the target audience for the service? Um, what's positive about the service? I'm, I always like to think there's got to be something good in a transportation service. As bad as it might be, there's got to be something good. Then the third question I ask, are there any gaps or challenges related to this service, such as service times, such as safety? Um, I know that you know this um, driver training is really critical in all of the work that we do. So is that an issue? Is, is that the challenge associated with the transportation service? And then finally, the fourth question I ask when you're um, really doing care, relate, and examining is what value does the service have? What's the return on investment in implementing solutions to address this gap or challenge? And that's, I, I harp on, I go back to ROI, return on investment, because that's going to be the compelling motivator for people within your coalition to continue their work, to invest their time and resources. But it's really going to be important as you move on to that final stage, um, extend and renew, because you want the community, you want people outside of your coalition to see the value of what you're suggesting or what your problem um, solution is. And so by articulating that in the process of care related examining, you're doing that beforehand. Um, the creator model, uh, we found it to be useful because it has particular characteristics, things like um, the voices of many and diverse perspectives is critical. Um, there's no one way. It doesn't suppose that it's this way and no other way. It recognizes that there needs to be, um, you know, an iterative um, back and forth process to solving some of these complex solutions. There's also checks and balances along the way. And I think that's really important as a coalition for you to, if you're suggesting a particular solution, like, you know, some of the things that we heard earlier in terms of um, the, um, knowing when an Uber or a, a on-demand service, a paratrans service is at your door. You're in a community and you're suggesting some automated call feature where the an app will call you to let you know that the driver's at your curb and you need to go out and meet the driver. If you're suggesting that as a solution, you know, continuously um, make sure that the, the literature that you have other, if you've examined that practice that's in place in other communities around 
the country or around your state, you know, make sure that that's still, um, it's a viable practice and that it results in the outcome that you wanted. And then the creator model, um, one of the important things about using a model like this is that it's supporting your coalition work. It's not negating the hard work of building your coalition. It's just reinforcing your coalition and it will, having a model, a systematic model, a process model, um, will help with the sustainability of the coalition. So some of the, um, when we're talking about defining transportation challenges, and I just use these as an example when I'm at workshops, like are there gaps in service? Is there time, does a service stop? at a particular time, does that create challenges for people getting to work or getting to healthcare? Are there gaps in coverage of a service? Like, are there particular geographic areas or community areas that a service doesn't run? Is accessibility of a service a uh, challenge? Is the quality of service? You know, it could be that drivers aren't changed. It could be the vehicles are dirty. It could be vehicles are com continuously breaking down. Um, so what is the quality of the service, the challenge? Is safety an issue? Do you feel uncomfortable? Do you feel that your health or, or your safety is at risk in a vehicle? And then the security issue in terms of um, do you feel that um, the your using a vehicle is secure is security a challenge um, when I talk about resources and the step in the uh, creator model about acquiring resources I talk about things like uh, people resources so where can you look to acquire people or staff resources can you as part of your coalition is there um, in a person that works at another organization that you could tap into their expertise to help drive your coalition and to help address your challenges and your solution? Um, and then in terms of capital resources, um, do you need new vehicles or equipment? Is it a, a challenge of you know, not having the right equipment or not having enough vehicles to do runs? And in terms of fiscal resources, um, we talked about the CCAM work earlier, the Coordinating Council on Access Mobility. That's created opportunities for us to think about non-traditional funding. And so um, because of the CCAM, because of this coordinated effort, there has been a more opportunity for transportation fiscal resources to be addressed through other agencies other than DOT. And so when I think about coalitions that we've worked with that say, Oh, well, money isn't always an issue. Have you looked at this source, at this source, at this agency, at this foundation, at this private funder? Um, so thinking out of the box in terms of funding. And then in terms of the try the solution, I talked about um, the pilot programs. The Federal Transit Administration has been funding lots and lots of pilot programs. They want to test out flexibilities in their provisions. And so even some of the things you were talking about regarding paratransit, that might be um, something that could be studied under one of these FTA pilot programs because those programs want the recipients of those monies to be flexible in their approach. And so thinking about ways to try a solution through some of these federal grant efforts might be um, a good start. Um, I talked about the importance of collecting data, data and data in terms of numbers. So, you know, numbers of riders that are able to be um, 
improved access to a service. Um, just the quantitative stuff, but it's also the qualitative stuff. How did it affect a person's life? You know, is a person able, I was working in Missouri and a person needed to get to um, an ongoing healthcare rehab uh, appointments and he didn't have transportation and because he didn't have, he didn't have transportation, he ended up back in the hospital and he was the caregiver to his wife. His wife ended up in a rehab facility because he wasn't home to help be the caregiver to her. So it was kind of a ripple effect. So I think the stories and the qualitative information about your solution is as important as the quantitative stuff. Um, and then your perspective regarding how it's working. In the, the final stages, extend and renew, it's all about scaling up. It's all about increasing the scope or coverage of the service. You also want to outreach and market. Um, I have worked with communities who advocate, advocate for new transportation service, and then they implement the service and no one uses it. Um, and then the transit agency kind of gets pie in their face because the local legislators who may have attributed money or, or the FTA funding, wherever the funds came from, it's almost like, why did we need the service? Why did you advocate for the service if no one's using it? And so when you roll out a solution and you could be thinking about marketing and outreach and communication throughout the entire process so that the messaging is, is there. Um, and then use lessons learned to facilitate new solutions to address new challenges. Um, there's always going to be challenges in our work, unfortunately, and you could use the lessons that you've um, discovered and painfully in some place sometimes through this process of coalition building and, and um, implementing solutions, but use that as a learning to inform you. Um, some just overall lessons learned about coalition building. Avoid getting so caught up in any one effort that you would as make it or break it. Um, every effort prepares the way for greater and more sustained efforts in the future. So that's kind of a building on your lessons learned. So coalition building is about coordination. It's about building and bridging silos. Um, you know, we, we, someone I was working with in um, Indiana actually had said, you know, we don't, we don't want to break down those silos necessarily because each of our silos, each of our worlds in which we work are really, really valuable. We want to bridge those silos. We want to bring that shared purpose, shared mission together um, in a way, in a coalescent way that helps address solutions. Your voice, um, I, I use a example of a puzzle and sometimes the pieces don't fit together your unique perspective is not considered and that's why your voice is important so always being at the table is a, a critical critical piece of coalition building and addressing some of the transportation challenges i've included some links to some resources about coalition building and the research that i've used to develop the content um, i'm also i also shared some resources that the Federal Transit Administration funds tap into our program. My center offers free technical assistance, free information, free call. We could help support your work at the, the local, the regional, the state levels, as do some of the other national technical assistance centers that are funded by the Federal Transit Administration 
There's another project that my colleague works on called the National Aging and Disability Transportation Center. And that's a center that's a collaboration between Easter Seals and N4A, National Area Agencies on Aging, and that addresses um, ADA issues. They focus on um, a, a section of our transit legislation called 5310, which are grants that are provided across states to fund vehicles mostly to transport individuals with disabilities. So it's a really terrific center. There's another center called the National RTAP Program, Rural Transit assistance program which helps rural and tribal communities so those of you in rural areas the RTAP program has amazing amazing resources there's another project funded through the administration for community living um, called transit planning for all that helps um, agencies implement strategies to truly engage individuals with disabilities and older adults in transportation planning you know many of the people that we work with have never had experience with a person with a disability before. So it's not that they don't want to invite us into their decision-making process. They just don't know how, or they may feel uncomfortable. So that project has some really terrific resources to help. Um, Ron mentioned the Shared Use Mobility Center that has We've done some work with them around considerations for individuals with disabilities on TNCs and shared ride and um, they love and value the input of um, different perspectives. Many of those folks are true transit providers and so having human service organizations like ours at the table really helps them. And then there's a new center called the National Center for Applied Transit Technology. We call it NCAT and that's also funded by FTA. And that focuses on, you've talked about making it easier to schedule and book and plan rides. They're focusing on all those technologies that facilitate access to transportation. So I'll leave you with a quote that um, kind of resonates with me. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And that was in a book by um, an author, Susan Scott, and it, the book was called Fierce Conversations. So um, thank you, thank you. I've loved listening to you and hearing your questions, and I hope that um, we have future opportunities to interact. And we have a little time left. We could open it up for more dialogue and questions. Thank you all. Right. Well, we do have some people that were waiting. Um, so back to back, Chris is Chris Bell. You're first. You can unmute. Chris. Um, yes. Um, thanks, Judy. Uh, I think we need to change the paradigm about public funding. Uh, government has been considered to be bad and taxes are negative. Do you have any ideas about how to shift the paradigm uh, so that there is a willingness to consider new ways of and extra funding for some of these programs? Well, that's a great, great point. Um, you know, I think the CCAM, I think non-traditional funding from the federal government has um, been an important help to traditional transit agencies and thinking about non-Department of Transportation funding. So CCAM work we've been doing and blending, um, they, there's resources regarding blending funds and matching funds. I think that's one way at least to help tra um, transit agents think, think of non-DOT funds. I also think that I'm seeing more and more um, foundations and private entities 
in their calls for proposals in their RFAs, they're asking for community-related activities that help economics, help housing, help health. Um, so having examples of those programs and their funding transportation, I think could show entities that funding doesn't traditionally have to come from our federal transit administration or the federal government. So um, just keeping showing those examples and educating the funders. Now, I, I was invited to participate on a foundation, a funders roundtable by SAMHSA, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, because, um, you know, to focus on the opioid crisis. And there were funders, foundational people on that call that said, wow, we could in our grant announcement or foundation grant announcements, we can include transportation as a focus area. So I think the more we can educate those funders, um, many states have foundations, have a foundation for foundations. So get those folks involved in your coalitions and your communities, inform them about transportation needs. All right, Chris Mai, you can unmute. Thank you. Um, great presentation, Judy. Thank you so much. Uh, just a real brief question. Um, what type of research methods are, are the best that you've utilized? Or is it, you know, observational, naturalistic, or anything of that sort, survey method or case study? Because uh, I'm a, a psychology major, so is the psychology play a part in that as well in your research? Uh, just curious oh, for data. <laughs> sure, and I'm not a pure, I, you know, I work, as a national technical assistance person, I'm not a pure researcher anymore. You know, I have a background in research and that's why the data is so important to me. But um, it's hard to do a true uh, experimental design project in the context of the work that we do. So much of what we do is observational. It is case study. It is ethnography. Um, it is surveys. It's not true experimental design. I wish, I wish we had better opportunities to collect data through um, a more cause and effect kind of model. So say you put in, you amend a paratransit service in a community um, to include, you know, a, a, a call feature. I would love to have a true sample of people using and not using that service and see how it impacts upon their accessibility or their access to that service. We just don't do that in this world. In education, we do, and in social sciences, we do, but in the transportation world, we don't so much. But good question. All right, um, Sheila, I just wanna know if you want to still take one more, we still need to be able to, it's like less than four minutes. I don't yeah. know if you wanna wind up. Four or... minutes. I was thinking maybe one more and then okay. wrap it up very quickly. You bet, yeah. Okay, Bob, you can unmute. Uh, yeah, hi. I'm not sure that maybe you're going to cover this, but um, are these sessions uh, that weren't on the radio, or at least some of them weren't, the transit workshop sessions, will they be available to listen to again on the website at some point? Yes, yes. this is Sheila. Everything has been recorded and you will get information about podcasts and archives and it's all going to be up there. It, all right, it so actually, a lot of it's already up on acbradio.org slash acb hyphen convention. 
Okay, and then my follow-up question is, um, I had to miss part of this because I was actually at my, it's called the Easy Rider Paratransit for Chapel Hill. I'm on the uh, advisory committee, and I'd really like to share some of the discussion. I've actually recorded some of it myself. Am I allowed to do that? Well, not, not we cannot, in this we, meeting. We cannot go over because um, I have to leave. We, we can't do it here. I was just wondering if that were a more general question about sharing it with ACB, but we can't do it at this meeting. And I just wanted one final thing. Um, I sent uh, you all an evaluation link to SurveyMonkey. The Federal Transit Administration requires that we collect formative evaluation data regarding the workshops and presentations we do. So please, please take four minutes and complete the survey when you get the link after this session. I would be most appreciative of that. Thanks. Well, Judy, thank you so much for a really great presentation. I'm sure you have everybody thinking about how they're going to go back to their local towns, whether they be cities or living out in the country. And, you know, how can we all take a fresh look at how we pound the pavements and try to get our work done? And, and I know you've given people some food for thought one of uh, my favorite expressions, and I didn't hear you say it today, but you talked about it in a lot of ways, is our social capital. How do we, how do we look at all of, you know, the connections that we have and, and all of the people that we work with and what they're up to and what we're up to and how can we get more mileage and create stronger solutions? So you did a great job wrapping up all of the work that we have done in the past week. And I'd like to ask Cindy to provide our final CEU. Yes. For those who signed up for continuing education credits, the closing CEU code for this session is C as in chocolate, eight, B as in bacon, two, eight, C as in chocolate, it's B as in bacon, two eight. Now you know a couple of my favorite foods. <clears throat> Thank you so much. Repeat. We don't need to do it one more time. Oh, we can. Okay. C as in chocolate, eight. B as in bacon, two eight. I just wanted to hear those words again. <laughs> they are Thank good you, words, Cindy. Thank you, sure. Judy. Thank you to all of our presenters. I won't name everybody because I know you all really want to get out of here. Thank you to both the Transportation Committee and the Environmental Access Committee. And everyone have a great rest of your convention. We so appreciate your time and attention to our workshop. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to close this um, room because I have to run to another one. So, yes. all right. Thank you.